A phrase that we learn early on and hear often is don't forget to say thank you, right? You know, you hear it as a kid a lot. Don't forget to say thank you to grandma and grandpa for the nice Christmas present or birthday present. Don't forget to say thank you to your coaches. Don't forget to say thank you to your teachers. Don't forget to say thank you. And, and it's surprising that you'd think that as often as we hear it as kids and as often as we say it as, as parents or, or grandparents, you'd think that we would never forget it. But, but we do. Maybe the reason sometimes we forget to say thank you is because we're so busy. Uh, things at the office, go, 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 correspondence, meetings, uh, projects, pressures, or maybe because it's busy at home, you know, um, got to drop so-and-so off, got to pick up this, got to send this off in the mail, uh, got to prepare for family coming over, got to prepare for company. Uh, we can just get so busy, go, 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 that we sometimes forget to hit pause and say thank you. I mean, not just a perfunctory, oh, thanks, but really say thank you to somebody for something they've done for us or, or to say thank you to God. I mean, there have been times when I've, I have to admit there have been there have been a few times in my life where I, for, I didn't really say thank you properly uh, for something wonderful that somebody you know did for me. Maybe you've had that experience, too. It wasn't really intentional. I just it just didn't make it a priority. It slipped my mind. That's a common experience. But can you imagine can you imagine if somebody did something earth shattering for you, change the direction and trajectory of your life for the positive? Can you imagine forgetting to say thanks? Well, the story that we're looking at today in Luke chapter 17, we, we find a story where, where that, that happens. And it's not just one person who forgets to express thanks, but it's, it's a whole bunch of them. So let's take a look at uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. You can follow along on the screen behind me or uh, in your Bible if you have it with you or on your phone app if you have a, a Bible app as well. Or you can just listen. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus is walking along the road, a long road from from Galilee, his hometown, his home area, to, to, to Jerusalem, which was the capital of, 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 of the nation of Israel. And Samaria is between the two of them. But as we know, I mean, Samaritans, this was an unusual thing for a, a group of Jewish men to do, was to go directly through Samaria uh, because of the, the long-standing hatred and animosity and prejudice between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Uh, they would usually go the long way around, but Jesus... And his disciples, Jesus is very intentional. It says he, he crossed the border 
between Samaria and Galilee. And it says he's about to enter a village and ten, ten men, ten lepers see him. And they cry out, Jesus, come and have mercy on us. Save us. Help us out. Now, now they would have heard of Jesus before. They hadn't seen him, but they'd heard the stories of Jesus healing, how he would maybe touch somebody and they'd be healed. And he would talk to somebody and they'd stand up and they could walk or, or put mud in somebody's eye and they could see. He would see deep into a person's soul. He would look at them and, and talk to them. But, but these men, they're, they're, they're shouting to Jesus from a distance. They don't approach Jesus. Why? Because, well, they're lepers. Uh, and listen to what Leviticus 13 tells us about how lepers were viewed. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, can you imagine? You have to live alone, away from your community, away from family and friends. Uh, the only companions you might have would be other lepers. Uh, you couldn't go to worship. You couldn't go to a family meal like Thanksgiving. You couldn't give somebody a hug. You couldn't give them a handshake. And if anybody came near to you, you had to yell out at the top of your lungs, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the humiliation and the, the, the stigma and, and, and the pain, the shame they must have felt? And if you look a little bit further in Leviticus 13, you'll see that the only way that, that a leper could be reinstated and reinstalled in his community and his family would be if the priest would examine them and determine that the disease was gone somehow or that had gone into remission. It was the only hope you had of, of, of normal human contact and intimacy again. So Jesus hears his name called. He sees these lepers from a distance. He sizes up the situation. And he simply says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And, and these men do. They, they, they turn and they go immediately to see the priest. And, and as they're walking along, we're not told how it happened exactly, but they suddenly realize that they're, they're, they're clean, they're cleansed. And, and I don't know if it was their, their fingers began to form again or the sores on their bodies suddenly instantaneously healed up or, 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 or the, the face disfiguration, whatever it was, it's all whole again. And, and they're, they're obviously thrilled, they're excited, and they, they rush off towards the village and towards their families, towards human touch again. But then one stops, and we pick up the story in verse 15. One of them, when he was, saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then Luke adds a, a telling phrase. He anticipates the surprise of the reader, and he says, and he was a Samaritan. Now, we've heard this story, many of us, so very many times. We know the main characters. We know the main message. We we, we know how this all ends and, 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 and everything. And sometimes when we've heard a story so many times, the familiarity can kind of dull us to the impact. Um, uh, and and, and uh, there's a lack of appreciation maybe for what's going on. So maybe you think of it this way. Suppose this story happened uh, in November of 2023 in Salina, Kansas. And you've got uh, nine people from this church and one person from, you know, outside the church. 
And um, instead of leprosy, they have this highly contagious disease. It's, it's likely going to be terminal. And they're isolated in a, in a wing of Sinai Regional. And the only contact they have is kind of with a few healthcare workers with masks and gloves. They push their food under the door. They do all sorts of things. It's very, they feel like lab rats. I mean, there's no human contact. They can't really see the faces, just the eyes of the people who are bringing them food and medicine. And, and they're stuck there. They can't go home to Thanksgiving meal. They're, they're isolated, no visitors. And then suddenly Jesus appears and he, and he heals them. Well, they, they, they rush out of the hospital. They run home to see family. But only one of them, only one of them comes back to say thank you to Jesus. And can you imagine? You, I mean, we would think it'd be one of the Christians. But what if it wasn't? What if it was a person who didn't go to church, who, who came back and said thank you to Jesus? Jesus communicates that surprise when he says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except you know this this foreigner? And then we see that the Samaritan he not only comes back to say thank you he he worships Jesus he he throws himself at, at Jesus' feet he looks up with tears no doubt coming down the smile and joy he's blubbering out thank you Jesus thank you and Jesus says rise and go your faith has made you well. Ten healed, ten get their lives dramatically, drastically changed for the better. We expect them all to be grateful, especially the nine Jewish men. But just one turns around and it's the Samaritan. Only one humbles himself, only one worships Jesus. And so we ask the same question, why, why only one? You know, I, I think gratitude, it seems sometimes that there's a, almost a pandemic of ingratitude. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lack of appreciation for all the blessings that God has given us. There's maybe a, a lack of, of humility in, in our world and even in Christian circles sometimes. And gratitude is, is often forgotten or rarely expressed. Like, like the guy who was uh, at the post office he was getting ready to mail something and an older man came up to him and said, hey, could you, could you help me with this postcard? I, I can't see well. My hand's shaky. So the, the man said, sure. And he, he signed the postcard. He put a short message from the older man. He even signed the old man's name. And then he said, oh, is there anything else I can do for you, sir? And the old guy thought for a minute and said, yeah, could you just put at the end, P.S., please excuse the sloppy handwriting. <laughs> I mean, you know, how often do we... Do we Hear people express sincere gratitude. I mean, try an experiment. Keep track of how many negative complaints and comments you hear and compare it to the number of expressions of true gratitude. Not just a perfunctory, hey, thanks, when somebody opens the door, but true gratitude. Or maybe even better, keep track of the number of complaints that you speak each day and compare that with the number of times you express sincere words of gratitude to others or to God. You know, as, as Christians, we, we often don't think of this as a big thing. I mean, we have this list of sins that, you know, are pretty high on the list. If we could eliminate these things from the church, eliminate these, eliminate these things from society, what a better world. And, you know, so we kind of prioritize, get rid of this, get rid of idolatry, get rid of oppression, get rid of 
evil, uh, uh, get rid of murder, get rid of lust, get rid of all these different things, deceit. Way, way down the list might be gratitude, ingratitude, if it's even on there. I mean, do we really think of ingratitude as, as sin? But, but listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Second Timothy 3. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And he describes what these terrible times would look like. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, hmm, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Unhol- I mean, ungrateful? I mean, wh- wh- why is that in this list? Doesn't that seem to be way down on the list? It doesn't seem like these are other major issues, but why is this, why is this included? Well, the, the, the Bible treats ingratitude as a... As a as a serious issue. Why? Because it, it acknowledges, it, it, it does not acknowledge God's goodness. It, it, ingratitude shows a, a lack of appreciation for God's blessing, His generosity, His providence. It, 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 it reveals a sense of entitlement and a, an inflated sense of self-worth and self-achievement. Sort of like a, a person who, who grows up in a very well-to-do family and and, and, and uh, they were born almost to the home plate, but they, they don't want to really want to acknowledge the advantages and the blessings that they've had. And Paul seems to draw this correlation between you know, ingratitude and these other issues. So are we really grateful? Or are we more apt to complain than to give God thanks? You know, gratitude is from the same root word as the word grace. So a, a person who has begun to accept and appreciate how gracious God is to us then becomes a, a grateful person. Thanksgiving is from the same root word as the word think. So to think about life accurately is to thank God continuously in the midst of life. Paul says in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. You know, a a person who's not thankful lacks joy, don't they? Somebody who complains all the time, do you think of them as a joyful person? Let me give you three simple reasons to be thankful. First, be thankful for all the resources God has given us. Creative minds, friends, family, life, a beautiful world, the beauty of art, music, literature, humor, ability to create and, and, and discover and to learn and to grow, not to mention God and His Word and how He cares for us, His Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We have much to be grateful for. Now, I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna here. I mean, I know that some of us here today are in the midst of some really difficult stuff. But I would think, I would encourage you that whatever difficulties you might be experiencing, I'm, I'm pretty positive you could sit down and come up with several reasons to be thankful, several ways that God has, has, has blessed you. That's probably the best therapy for a troubled spirit. 
A second reason to be thankful is the providence of God. Over and beyond all things that happen, God is at work, isn't he? To redeem and to guide and to shape and to bring about his purposes. If we have that understanding perspective, if we believe that, then we're always going to be able to give thanks because we know that God is working. It's not the end. It's not the bottom. There's hope. There's light. One of my favorite books as, as a kid and one of my favorite movies we went, I remember going to as a kid was The Hiding Place. Maybe some of you read it. It's an old movie from the 70s. But it's about Corrie Ten Boom and her sister uh, during World War II. They were uh, thrown in, in a work camp by the Nazis because they were hiding Jewish people. And, and Ten Boom, Corrie Ten Boom tells about an incident that taught her being thankful in all circumstances. Um, they were thrown into these barracks, extremely crowded. They were infested with fleas. They were cold. They were wet. They were damp. And one morning as they were reading uh, in a tattered Bible that they had smuggled in somehow from First Thessalonians, the lesson was rejoice in all things. Bessie said, Corey, we've got to give thanks for these barracks and even for these fleas. Corey said, no, come on, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But Bessie was persuasive, and so they did thank God even for the fleas. During the months that followed, they found that their barracks were left unsupervised by the guards mostly. They could do Bible study, they could talk openly, they could pray. And several months later, they learned the reason was the guards didn't go in because of the fleas. The third reason we can give thanks to God is we're commanded to be thankful. For our welfare, we're told over and over to give thanks. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that why so many of our songs are devoted to singing praise to God? And Isn't that why so much of the Bible, especially the Psalms, are over and over we're told, give thanks to God, sing His praise, He is good. Over and over we're told to give thanks to Him. You know, I, I've been a pastor for over 30 years and, and many times I've seen people from the churches I've served model incredible gratitude even during difficult times, a terminal illness, the midst of a painful divorce, the loss of a, of a loved one, of a, of a child, chronic pain. And they gave thanks for God's goodness and they counted their blessings. You know, you know, choosing as, as an act of the will to thank God in whatever circumstances, it, it reveals our spiritual heart for God. It reveals our, our perspective. Gratitude changes us. John Henry Jowett, a British preacher, said this about gratitude. Gratitude is a vaccine, an antitoxin, and an antiseptic. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, gratitude, he said, like a vaccine, can prevent the invasion of a disgruntled, discouraged spirit. He said gratitude, like an antitoxin, can prevent the effects of the poisons of cynicism and, and bitterness and grumbling. And he said gratitude, like an antiseptic, can soothe and heal the most troubled spirit. And so maybe the, one of the most powerful things we can do in the midst of a situation is to stop simply, hit pause and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, people can do one of two things. They can focus on their difficulties. 
They do that long enough, they're difficult to be around, aren't they? People who focus on their blessings are a blessing to be around. Now, there's no shame in you know, weeping over our difficulties. Jesus weeps with us. We're called to share our burdens with each other. But gratitude is the, is the ground out of which a peaceful, thankful, trusting spirit develops. And we're told over and over to give thanks to God, to praise Him, because our tendency is to focus on our problems rather than on our, our blessings. You know, people of every age have problems, right? When you're young, you might be, you know, you worry about how you look. Are you going to grow? Are you going to have any friends? Um, you, you, might, you might not succeed in a sport you want or get a part in a play. You worry about those things. You have problems. A few years later, maybe their problems are still there, but they come a little bit different. Maybe there's not enough money or the job isn't working out or marriage is going poorly or, or you, you're having a hard time with a drink or you can't have children or a loved one dies. There are all sorts of problems of every age that we can face. We can deal with them three different ways. We can give in to the problems and give in to discouragement, become negative, depressed, hopeless. We can deny the problems. My husband, my husband doesn't really have a drinking problem or no, the, the, the sickness really isn't that bad. I don't have to change my life because of it. Or we can face them with realism and with faith and thank God in the midst of them. As we see that over and over again, we're called to do that in the Scriptures. So let me, let me close with two stories. The first one's fictional, the second one's true. The first one, a ship was wrecked and the only survivor wafts up onto a small uninhabited island. He just had a, was able to save a couple small things and that was it. He searched the horizon for days hoping for help to come. He cried out to God, save me, help me, send help. Nothing happens. He builds a, a rough hut and puts his few precious articles in there. And one day he's coming home from out scrounging for food and he sees the hut's on fire and the billows of smoke going up into the air. The worst has happened. The next day a ship drew in. He said, how do you know I was here? They said, we saw your smoke signal. And maybe the difficulty that you're experiencing is a smoke signal that will bring about your deliverance or a greater experience of peace and joy in your relationship with Christ or a greater blessing. The, the second story is about a man named Matthew Henry, an English uh, pastor, once attacked by thieves and robbed of his wallet. And he wrote these words in his diary, Let me be thankful. First, I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. You know, I think maybe something that would be helpful for us to do rather than just say, hey, how are you doing today? Would be, hey, what are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for? Jesus said, weren't nine others healed? Where are they? 
do you thank God regularly, intentionally, faithfully, no matter the situation? Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for Your love. We're grateful for Your mercy. We're grateful for Your Son, Jesus. We thank You for this world. We thank You for family and friends. We thank You for the body of Christ. We thank You, Lord, for a new day. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and for Your Spirit. We thank You for all the blessings that we perceive and can count. And we thank You for the blessings that we don't even realize we have been given. Lord, help us to be people who are joyful. Help us to be people who are thankful. We come before You and we worship You. And we come to You to Your feet, Lord, and say, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you just stand as we respond to the word we just received.
you can be seated for just a moment. As we wrap up the service this morning, we're going to take time to pray for our Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes and literally pray for the children that are going to be receiving these shoeboxes. And so um, we packed up the boxes that were on the stage yesterday. There were over 210 boxes on the stage. We've got dozens more that you've brought in today that are out on the table and just so grateful for your generosity and your intentionality to uh, really lo- demonstrate the love of Christ to some children that we're never going to meet, probably this side of heaven. And so we just want to take time to pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to serve. Thank you for the intentionality, the generosity that go with each one of these boxes, God. God, thank you for the opportunity for us to demonstrate and share the love of Christ in a small and a practical way to a child that we probably will not ever meet. God, we're grateful for each of these children, that you've given them life, that you've created them, And God, we're praying that somehow this communicates the depth of your love for them. And that as they enjoy the gifts and the toys, that they also are impacted by the message that is also enclosed in these boxes. We pray, God, that this would impact children. And not just a child, but their family and their community that they live in. God, we understand that your Holy Spirit works in ways that we can't fully understand. That, God, you are mysterious in some ways, and we're grateful, God, that we get the opportunity to partner with you in sharing the good news of Christ in this way. We pray, God, that this would have an impact. May it be so. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. And just a reminder to our, our prayer team, if they could take their place. Uh, to the end of the, the, the side here, the end of the hallway. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, uh, please join them there after the service. And also, just a reminder about the taco bar. Um, uh, you can get meals to go, or you can go in and sit down with Elsa Paul and have a meal there with somebody else. So I hope you'll have a chance to support our, our youth and children. And now the benediction comes from the Apostle Paul's words. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen.